Today we welcome Batya Bird Oved. Batya's story is one of deep journey and exploration already starting back from when she was a high performing lawyer at one of the biggest firms in Canada and left it all to find something more. I've heard her describe that time in her life as selling my life into hourly increments. And I think we all struggle with some aspect of the dilemma that followed finding the equation or the, let's say the life balance that works. But Baya was brave enough to give up the golden handcuffs to find the real gold. Her search took her to some of the world's most exciting destinations, climbing mountains, finding gurus. She even visited the Dalai Lama, doing thrill-seeking adventures. But ultimately, she ended up in Israel, where she embarked on a religious journey that changed her life. In one of her talks, I heard her say that she reached a point where she was able to reflect on all the details of her life, right? Like that God made her a woman and God made her, you know, be living at this time and all the details that had come together to make her who she was. And she was able to look at everything as a clue about why she was here. And it helped her make the shift to say to God, I know I'm here for a specific purpose and I'm willing to go where you lead me. Ultimately, this led her to find an amazing match, a husband she adored. She had five children with and started a chesed organization together with, more on that later. But then, who she tragically lost when they were on a couple's trip for his 40th birthday and he drowned in the ocean in Tel Aviv. Now, one of the most amazing and unique things about Batya is that she's willing to speak about this tragedy that changed her life and share the deep lessons and insights she gleaned along the way, which is what we'll be diving in together in this episode. Welcome, Batya, to Ideas That Change Lives, and thank you in advance so much for being willing to be vulnerable and share some of the deep ideas that changed your life. Thank you so much <laughs> for having me. Wow, that's uh, much more succinct than I usually put my story. <laughs> we want to jump right into the meat and potatoes. Um, so the first thing I want to ask you about is a statement I heard you say, and I think this is like um, a really amazing soundbite to sort of start off the conversation. You said in this famous talk I heard of yours that suffering that God creates is good, but suffering that we create is bad. And in other words, I think you said when we don't push away the pain that comes to us, we learned we learn uh, to be a healer with that pain. So I'm wondering if you could just allow, start by elaborating on that very, um, very deep statement a bit more. Okay, so all of us know what pain feels like, right? We stub our toe, we lose a loved one, we don't get the job we want. It hurts, all right? It hurts. And, uh, and oftentimes it doesn't come from us. Oftentimes we work very, very hard and all of a sudden something just comes our way. Uh, a guy crashes into us or whatever it is. An act of God, let's say. Now, that kind of suffering is meant to be. You're doing everything you want, everything you need to do in life, and it comes to you. It's meant mm -hmm. to be. It comes from God. But what happens next is oftentimes we say, hold on a second. I don't like this feels. I don't like right. this at all. But I don't even deserve this. What's the story? How come I lost my house? My friend didn't lose their house. How come my children are having a hard time, but my friend's kids are not? 
And we sit and we start to judge and we start to get angry and we start to reject it. We don't want this pain. I don't want to feel like this. Hold on a second. This isn't fair, God. This shouldn't have happened to me. I was good. I was doing well. I, and we have this huge conversation that goes on and we start to get into a place where we start to become bitter and we push it away and we're angry and we have this whole existential conversation going on in our head. And that is what really leads to true suffering. Because that is us not accepting what happens to us. That is us having a war with God inside of our head. And the only thing that it does is hurt us even more and make us even more deep, embittered people. And we become worse and we become actually cut off from our source. So that kind of pain is pain that we create. And that pain destroys us. Mm-hmm. But pain that is sent for a good reason. We don't know why. But everyone's got it. Everyone's got it in all different ways. And when it comes to us and we can say, okay, hold on a second. This doesn't feel good. It hurts, but you know what? I know it came from you. And we allow it to wash our souls through it. Then it can actually heal us. You know, it's an amazing thing because everyone knows the story of, you know, the Jews going through the desert. And before that, all the plagues in Egypt, the 10th plague. Now, what people don't usually know is not only the Egyptians have to go through the plagues, but also the Jewish people did too. But there was one main difference, says Rob, that I'm very close to here. He says, for the Egyptians, it was a punishment. We all have to go through punishments. You know, what goes around comes around. In Buddhism, they call it karma. In Judaism, they call it tikkun. And these are good things because our soul has stains on them. And so when we have these punishments, we have this pain. It basically erases that stain from our soul so that we can forever be lighter. For the Jews in Egypt, they also went through it, but it wasn't a punishment. It was a healer. So what happened was they were so entrenched in the evil and the bad energy around them that they had taken it on. Like like that energy just gets stuck to them. And so they were so, in Judaism, it's called Tuma. And they were about to go out and actually talk to God, actually listen to God talking to them. They had to be on such a high spiritual level to do that, and they weren't. So when they had these plagues hit them, They basically were cleansed of all of the bad energy that were on them so that they could receive a higher light. And so what happens to us much of the time is when we go through this pain, we go through these plagues or whatever it is that we go through, if we sit and we realize, we accept that this is coming from God for a good reason, we can actually fly with that. We can actually use that pain to heal our souls, to come to higher levels of expression of ourselves. Mm-hmm. You know, we go through life. I remember I have, uh, I don't know how much time I have to talk here, but I have a lot of memories. And there are fair things that happen to me through life. You know, when you go through life and your parents don't really give you an understanding of, uh, by the way, the purpose of life is this, or the purpose of life is that, you just sort of either you cruise, or if you're a person who's asking, you try to figure it out. You know, you try to look around and you see, like, what is this place for? I just popped into existence in this earth. Like, what am I doing here? And what's the purpose of this place? And what's it all about? And I remember. We were in a house that had two floors and three bedrooms. And my parents said, we're moving. And I said, really? Why? And my mom said, we're having a baby. I said, okay, great. I guess everybody needs their own bedroom for every pair of shoes they have. Fine. We bought a house that had five bedrooms. I was ecstatic. Three floors, five bedrooms. So I thought, okay, more people need more space. I was completely shocked when a family of 11 people moved in to our three-bedroom home. And we were a family wow. of four people moving in to, a, to a, a house with three bedrooms. I said, well, this doesn't make any sense. I said, a family of 11 people needs a house with five bedrooms. 
an, a family of poor people needs a house of three bedrooms. We we should stay here and they should move there. Like this is completely unfair. It doesn't make any sense, right? And, and you go through school and you see, <laughs> I remember all of the popular girls were the ones who were snobby and rude and mean, you know, and all of the nice girls who would like never hurt a fly, no one wanted to be friends with them. And I remember thinking, it doesn't make any sense. You know, like if I ran the world, if I were someone or a God or whatever being there was, because I didn't actually believe in God at that point, I had no idea. And I thought to myself, you know, if I were create a world, I would try to get everyone to be good. And how do you get everyone to be good? You reward people who are nice and you punish people who are not nice, right? So the girls who are not nice, they should have absolutely no friends. And the girls who are, you know, wonderful and sweet, they should have a lineup of friends around them. And that way everyone will understand what's the right thing to do. Right. And then I remember going through school and I remember the people who would work and work and work and study. And like at the end of the day, if they got a B plus, you know, they would like jump for joy because they just weren't gifted with they call it like a good cup. They just weren't gifted with intelligence. And then there were these other people who would like stay out all night and come in and they just had like a very good short-term retention and they would get A's. And it didn't make sense to me. I was like, that's just not fair. I'm like, that person worked really hard. Like they should do really well. And that person didn't work hard at all. Why are they succeeding? So the more you go through it, the more you look around, the more you just see, listen, this place isn't really so fair. You know, right. I mean, I don't run my house like that. I, I mean, if you're the last person who lives in a functional home, you'll see that the kids that are in your house that are doing well and listening and acting nicely, mommy gives, you know, presents to and prizes. And the kids that are not listening to, she punishes, right? That way everyone understands very clear what are the rules of this house, this household society. But it doesn't work like that in the world around us. And we see that. You know, we see that people who put in a lot of effort sometimes don't get anything out of it. And people who, you know, have it easy sometimes get so much. And it's like, you look around, you think to yourself, this place isn't fair. If I was God, I wouldn't create it like this. And then you wonder, you know, what is this place? Look, this place, Earth, sometimes it's exciting and wonderful. And sometimes it's strange and weird and bizarre. But all times, it really, it's just a stage. This place called earth, this thing called life, it's just a stage. And I mean that in both senses of the word. I mean that in terms of time. It's a stage in a time period. We were something before we were here. We were all in our mother's tummies, surrounded in water. We were, we were literally fishes. We literally didn't eat. We, we, were, we were fed through a tube and we didn't, and we lived in water. And that was a stage. And now we actually eat food and we breathe air, and this is also a stage. And when we leave here, we'll also be in a different stage. And it's also a stage in terms of a platform for a scene. You know, I'm a character in your movie right now. You're interviewing me. You want to get things out to the world. You're a character in my movie. You're helping me, you know, to actually bring out my message of the things that I went through. You're going to go outside and you're going to stumble into someone one day and you're going to be the evil person in that person's play, you know, and, and I'm also going to be, you know, the thorn under someone's foot one day. We're all characters in each other's play, depending on what kind of unfairness we need to learn. Right. And um, I have to tell you in this play, we're not just, you know, wearing the clothing that we wear. We're, we're also wearing our bodies. We're wearing our bodies for a certain amount of time and then we won't be then we will be what we actually are. 
What are we? What are you, Beth? What am I? What are all your listeners? All of us here are potentially eternal beings that have been brought to this place to become more beautiful, to become more perfect, to bring out all of the character traits and all of our potential into being. And right. all of these other things that happen to you and me and everyone else are just potential tools. What are we doing here? How can we be better? And how can we improve other people and this world? And through that, we uplift everything that happens to us. We have absolutely no control of what happens to us. And we have almost complete control of what we do with all of it. Right. I just want to say on that point, um, it's interesting, like just to summarize a bit, what you've said so far is that when we reject the pain and when we push it away, instead of accepting it, we're, we're sort of getting completely distracted and not only distracted, but we are putting ourselves down a rabbit hole where we're not going to like be able to take the positive messages or the, the growth opportunities out of it. In other words, like I recently heard just on the point that you're saying from um, a book of Rabbi Levy, it's called Sparks and Berdichev, that this world is really just an obstacle course, right? We're put in this world and there are certain sort of like rules of engagement, but we get distracted so easily from our soul's mission by all these other things going on, just like you would in an obstacle course, right? And like suddenly you think, oh, like it's money. Like I have this thing called money. Like that's really going to get me ahead in this game. Right. Or, you know, um, you know, whatever else you're, you're pursuing, there's a, there's a billion different things people get distracted by entertainment, pleasure, you know, getting ahead of other people. And we forget like our soul's real mission. So um, what I hear from you is that unfortunately, when like some, like such a tragedy happens or, or, or a big, you know, big thing that causes suffering happens, it's sort of like, makes all those things fall away and you're able to remember in the most clear sort of way what your real what your real mission is what your real purpose is that you're in this obstacle course and you're you're really headed somewhere that you know is the ultimate goal and you need to refine yourself here and um sometimes suffering is the way to i guess maybe even reset and recalibrate and take you to the next level of that challenge um in in perfecting right Right. All of those things. It's kind of like riding a wave. You know, I don't know if you've ever been in an ocean when you're kind of like stuck in a potential undertow. You are not supposed to swim. If you have any chance of making it, you have to just be still and wait for the wave to come and then just go with it. Right. And that's really when you have these tests in your life, we just have to be still and wait and just go with it. Just let go and let God and say, okay, you know, I don't understand it. I don't, un and it feels bad. It hurts, but I trust you. And I'm going to go with it. War, making a war with God, fighting God is a losing war. It destroys you. And you forget the entire purpose because God actually really loves you. And so all these things that hurt that he brings into your life are really not to hurt you. They're really just to help you. And God kind of looks at us like, oh, you poor baby, you know, <laughs> you right. poor baby. I'm just waiting. I'm waiting for you again, I'm waiting for you to understand. I'm, I'm waiting and I'm hoping and I'm hoping you get it. But you know what? I set this world in motion with free will, which means I'm not going to save you. So if you make a mistake, I'm actually going to let you fall. 
but it's such an act of kindness because you know what? If you do it right, I'm actually going to let you fly and you're going to get all of the kudos for it. Closeness in the physical world is measured by proximity. So if I'm standing next to you, I'm close to you, Beth, right? Mm -hmm. Closeness in the spiritual world is measured by similarity. The more I am like you, the more we vibe together, right? In the spiritual world, the more I am like God, the more you are like God, the closer you are to God. So when you create yourself, when you take things around that happen to you and you say, you know what? I know the natural, my natural inclination is to be angry. My natural inclination is to give up, but I'm going to overcome my natural inclination. And I'm going to say, you know what? I'm going to take this and I'm going to make the world a better place through it. Someone hurt me. Someone abused me. I'm going to become more compassionate to other people and help other people get out of these situations. Right. And that way you actually become like God. You become a creator. You create yourself, you create goodness around you and you create a better planet. Right. I think that um, when situations like this, a person can either constrict, right? Their world can become very, very small after going through like a big tragedy, right? Or they can expand. And so what you're talking about is really the ultimate expansion is, um, you know, taking what you went through and helping others, right? Making your world bigger by taking those lessons and helping others. Or even like in your case, you're, you're, you're so, it's so beautiful because instead of constricting and making your world small, you're willing to talk about the difficulties you went through and share it with the world on such a large scale, um, which I think is really incredible. But I would ask you, did you ever feel bitterness in that? Meaning, is that sort of a natural stage that people go through, you know, after after such a tragedy? Like, I think a lot of people often go through bitterness or blame. Like they say to themselves, we should have never gone on that trip or he should have never gone in the ocean alone, right? How did, how did you find yourself? Did you feel the, the, that sort of stage and how did you find yourself moving past it? So I will tell you that I wasn't the only one who had, you know, feelings about these things. He also had other family, everyone. It's not just, you know, the widow, but anyone who loved him went through different stages of things, including bitterness and anger and blame. And these are all stages. These are all stages and these are all very natural emotions. Um, I did not, you know, walk out of there an angel saying, oh, this is all from God. I know this is good. No, everything was a process and a stage and crying and and asking for help and getting support from different people and healers and even trauma therapy and tons of hours at the gym. It was an uphill battle every step of the way. Don't forget, I had five little kids at home between yeah. the ages of one to without family um, to help me. So for me, I took my life into bite-sized pieces. And I remember having another widow friend tell me, really, all you need to get through is breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And I said, you know what? I can do more than that. I can get through one day at a time. Mm-hmm. More than that, I couldn't take on. But I could say I can do one day at a time. I fought through every single day and I took tiny little pieces. My biggest piece was I have incredible trauma. I have to work on the trauma. Um, Of course, there were other people around me. I have to, you know, help the kids through their faith. You know, their father was a lifeguard 
their father was an, an incredible human being. So to be an incredible human being and die tragically doing the very thing that you save other people's lives doing is quite a test of faith. Another thing I heard you say, which really knocked my socks off, and I really want to um, ask you maybe to delve a little bit deeper here, is um, I heard you say if we question what what bad comes to us, right, the bad things that come to us, we also right. need to question the good things that come to us. And I think that's so powerful because I think the human mind in general has a tendency to dwell on the negative. So you could, I mean, every day we go through so much stuff, right? I once heard um, an amazing quote. There's um, a famous old time movie uh, with Lee Marvin where he's actually drunk and he, um, you know, first he's like shouting with joy and then they're watching him on the floor crying and then he's laughing and someone, someone responds, who's watching him. I never saw someone go through a day so quickly. <laughs> <laughs> all the emotions of a day in two minutes right because that's what happens right. all day long there's the good things there's the bad things but we tend to focus and sort of like have looping thoughts about the bad things but even if something great happens like we're happy for a bit but we're not like we're not dwelling on it the next day you know in the same way that we do a bad thing so I think it's a really sobering um sobering thought that you know, if, if we're going to question the bad things, then why aren't we questioning the good things? Why are we saying, well, I got this wonderful thing in my life that, wow, why did I deserve that? Right. Um, exactly. We think that, that whatever we have that's good, we deserve. And yeah. as an automatic, like this is just what comes with life. Of course, you know, we're supposed to have a mother and a father who loves us and a roof over our head and all that. that that's of course why do we have any of the bad that's already like something to question so um it we are it, this is the difference between being a baby and being an adult you know kids come into the world very very selfish assuming everything you know in hebrew it's megilly everything comes to me yeah um and don't appreciate anything and when we come to be adults we ha we have to switch and say hold on a second i actually don't deserve anything i have or do I deserve anything I have? And if I don't, maybe I should go out and figure out how to deserve it. Yeah, absolutely. Do you feel like you were able, um, meaning again, going back to your you know, initial background, like you were a very hardworking lawyer, you were in sort of that, that rat race, right? And I can see through everything that, that you have gone through and everything that you're talking about that you were able to move from this mindset of, how much time are you going to devote to what you do in your life versus how much time are you going to devote to who you're going to be, right? Your higher purpose. Um, and can you talk a little bit about that journey of how you were able to move from the very Western idea of like, what do I do to who am I going to be? A very long journey. I have to say a very long journey that actually, uh, you know, involves many flights and many mountain climbing. Um, but look, that, that's how I was raised, you know, in, in North America, it's, it's not what, you know, it's who, you know, it's not what you do. It's what you can put on your resume. You know, I, I remember asking questions about life after death and people would look at me like, you know, eyes sideways, like what in the world does that have to do with the following deal? You know, like how right. is that going to pay the bills? And, um, I personally, I don't know why other people didn't feel this way, but I personally felt so empty 
just counting the check at the end of the month. Um, when I didn't feel that I was doing anything of value in the world, it could have been different if I could have been a, been a lawyer that, you know, helped fight for people's rights. But because I really was just helping people to make money and that money itself wasn't helping anyone either. I just, this is hollow, but I didn't know what wouldn't be hollow. And so I went traveling and I, I literally looked around and asked around all different cultures. What do you do? What what do people do in this country? You know, what? and most of the people, honestly, they were just trying to feed their family. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, they couldn't buy skyscrapers and Porsches and all. There was nothing to chase. They actually spent a long time sitting and contemplating about life and what it is. And so the absence of money actually gave them a reason to actually look for spirituality. So what I did was I actually had to go to the other end completely. And I didn't tell, I remember traveling, I didn't tell anyone I was a lawyer. I didn't want anyone to look at me with any type of respect or eye in any way, shape or form. I, I let go of, you know, so many of my clothes and status and whatever it was. And I just wanted to blend in. And um, when I didn't have any of those extraneous things around me, nor other people showing me who I was, meaning when I left my identity and I left other people that reinforced that identity, then I could create a new one. Mm -hmm. So only when I found, only when I was able to surround myself with completely other people, completely other different types of people and sit and search. I mean, I did 10 days silent meditation, you know, Vipassana. I spent days and days um, researching uh, different types of theology and and um, crystal healing and yoga and uh, all different types of people, all different types of things until I just felt what stuck. And only when I built myself into what I actually felt inside was I kind of safe enough to come out of the cage and say, okay, you know what? Actually, I was a really successful person in that world, but that's not who I am. That's just what I did. Mm-hmm. It's very tricky. Um, if I was around the same people and if I had kept going, um, in the same firm, I would not have been able to get to where I've gone to now. It's just too hard. There's a certain way you need to talk. There's a certain way about you that you need to be. And it, it becomes reinforced from the outside, wherever you are in your social dynamic. And so in, in some ways, I had to sort of be a hermit on the other side of the world to just like shed all of that because it's too appealing. Right. We get a certain amount of um, pleasure from being respected and from being looked up to. And it's really hard to give up unless you just completely let it go to the other side. So um, the Rambam, who's you know, a famous Torah scholar back in the day, used to say, if you really want to change one character trait, you got to go to the end and then you got to come back to the middle. And so only when I had really gone to the end that I was I able to to come back to the middle and say, hold on, I can integrate both sides of me. That's okay. You know, it's okay that I'm an ambitious person. The only question is, what am I ambitious for? You know, is it just for money? Is it just for respect? Is it just for career? Or is it to accomplish my purpose in this world and spread um, inspirational teachings or help people in the old city be able to continue learning and so help them with money? Listen, I, I don't believe that money is bad. 
um, I happen to be very, very motivated to make a lot of it. It's just when it's only for that purpose, then it can kill you. You know, I, I know people back in the day that, you know, at 26 years old, they had a hundred million dollars just like sitting in their bank account, but they would not stop working until they had their private island and they had their private plane and they were escorted from one place to the other. And they just, they've never had a life because it doesn't end. But now I know people with gajillions of dollars and it doesn't end. You know what they do all day? They sign checks to help this organization and that organization and people fly to them all over the world. And the amount of good that they can do with that money is unbelievable. I stand right. in awe of what they did. It's the same money. It's right. not the money. So it's, it's not the, it's not the stimulus. It's what you do with the stimulus, which is exactly the same thing with suffering, which is what you're, what you're saying that like the suffering exactly. is neither good, nor is it bad. It depends on depends on the context and how you use it. Some people that they suffer, they become bitter, angry people. And because they were abused, they will abuse. And then there are some people because of their suffering, they become much more compassionate people and help others to stop suffering the way that they did. It's not the suffering. It's the person's choice with what they did with it. And it's complete hashgacha, which means divine providence, that that suffering came to them. But the choice of who they become as a result of it is not as a result of the suffering. It's a result of their own decisions. Right. Do you have some practical tips in terms of how you moved through the pain to get to that place? Because I know a lot of times I've heard from people like, for example, um, you know, um, you know, we know someone close to us that went through a big tra tragedy and um, they, they felt like at the Shiva, which is like the seven days of mourning that the, you know, Jewish people sit um, when someone dies, like so many things people said to them were off-putting. Like when people said, um, there's a reason for all of this, or this is going to bring you to a better place or whatever. They did not want to hear any of it. Right. They, they, they just wanted to like be in the suffering then. So how did you, how, how, what were your steps? How did you move to a place where you, you not only were willing to like be open to these messages, but you incorporated them into your life? Okay. Yeah. First, I have to say those people, what the very, very big mistake, as much as I say all of these things, only I can say it because I'm the one that went through it. Yes. No one else, the person suffering. Absolutely not. Because you have no validity. A person who didn't go through what you went through has absolutely no validity. And you know what? Even if they went through the exact same thing, it's still not the same thing. So right. the only thing you can do is share the pain. Share their pain. Feel their pain. That's how you can take away the person's pain. And what I did is I only, I only surrounded myself with people. There were plenty of people who did the wrong thing, believe me, uh, including that. So tell me what happened. You know, oh, no, right. I know it is actually, it is very helpful. It is very helpful for you to, to tell the listeners about um, what not to say. I think that's very helpful because you know, when someone's, when someone went through something like this, like, you know, what were some of the things that were really off that people said that, you know, other people right. could learn from? Very big R rabbi or very big R Rebbitson beside your name. And you have been counseling people on this for generations. Do not speak at a Shiva. Mm -hmm. There's nothing you can say. The only thing that I can ever say to anyone is I I'm so sorry. There's just nothing I can say. Because there isn't anything you can say. That's the whole thing is that beyond words, 
it's beyond words. It's just, it's this existential pain. And you just, a person just needs to feel that you feel their pain, that you know how hard it is for them. And you don't know how hard it is for them. But they need to feel that you don't know how hard it is for them. So did it. that actually comfort you? People who came and didn't talk, but were just like, gave you a hug or just said, I'm here for you. Like, was that enough to feel like, you know, that, that, that they were, that, that they, they boosted you in some way? I tell you what helped me. The people who came in and figured out what I needed and gave them to me. Yeah. People who came in with a very healthy shake or a very healthy soup. Um, the people who came in to give my kids something I couldn't give to them. Those were the people that really helped. Anyone who actually supported me through doing something I could no longer do. That was very helpful without Absolutely. words. You know, it, it, remind, it reminds me not to interrupt, but it reminds me exactly. And I think that's so insightful for people to hear. Like there's um, there's a Rebbitson here that, you know, went through um, losing her husband very suddenly. It was just a you know, uh, not as suddenly as you, but it was a very, I was supposed to be a very curable cancer. And then within a very short period of time, it was a non-curable cancer and um, he passed away. And she said that um, the things that helped her so much that really stick in her mind were, were exactly, there was someone who came and said, I know all your grandchildren are in town while you're going through this. I'm going to do a balloon show for them and like took them all and did like a whole balloon show to get the, the grandkids out of the house. There was like a, a store she liked shopping at and the storekeeper just dropped off some, she knew her style, dropped off some new clothing at her door because she knew that, you know, she wow. knew, you know, like, like things that I, I would never think to do either of those things, but it's important for people to open the discussion so people could understand, to look at things from a different perspective when trying to help someone. Right, um, and I remember someone that would come over for the next few months randomly with different toys for my kids wow toys jokes stories for them just to add light in our world yeah yeah and um so I, so I could tell you that look what what I did do was immediately anybody who I felt was not helpful <laughs> you know was like a drain on my energy I just I wasn't with them there was really honestly at the end of the day there was and so Anyone that's, you know, does it wrong shouldn't feel so bad because at the end of the day and everything that I went through, there was really only one person who got it right. And with her, I stuck to her every day. There were other people who here and there were able to help, you know, what can I do for you? Oh, please take me to the Dead Sea. Fine. They came, no questions asked, drove me to the Dead Sea. Would you like to be here alone or with me? No, be here alone. Great. No problem. And they would just do things for me here and there without putting in anything else. Just what piece can I take from you? What piece can I help you with? What energy can I give you? But there was one friend who really, I just felt like emotionally could hold the space of my pain and it wasn't too much for her. Um, it's very unique. Obviously you have to go through a certain amount in life to be able to hold another person's pain, but most people are just scared of your pain because yeah. they just don't know what to do with it. You know, they never experienced it. They don't know it's uncomfortable. They can't, and they can't, they, they don't feel safe to go in there with you. So it takes a unique individual, usually someone who's been through their own suffering to just, you know, be there with you and just listen and it just literally tell you yeah oh my gosh this is this is so hard and that's it no advice just to literally be able to listen to you and hear you and and hold your pain with you 
And uh, that's just the greatest gift that anyone could ever give someone in that situation, because you just feel so alone in it all by yourself. And, and to have someone else say like, I'll go there with you and I'll, yeah. I'll hear you and I'll feel you is just, it's, it's life giving. Yeah. Um, and I think that's also that such an important point for us to hear because a lot of times, like it's the famous, uh, the, you know, the love language of Mr. Fix it, you know, like there's a certain yeah. part of us that just, we want, like we, it's, we can't stand seeing people in pain. It's so uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. So we mm -hmm. want to fix it. We want to fix their pain. We want to help so badly and to take a step back and realize, well, there's a certain helping in just the silence and just the being there. Like we don't have to be Mr. Fix it because in, in some ways that even makes it worse. Because it can't right. be fixed. There's a stage where it can't be fixed. Fixing it or helping to fix it is being there with the person. Yeah. What is yeah. the fixing. The fixing is, I'm not afraid to go there with you and to feel your pain with you. And, yeah. to see, and to see what you're going through and how you feel and how you're going through it. That's, I'm, it's life-giving. You know, everyone wants to be seen. But people don't like to see people in that place because it's uncomfortable, like you said. Yeah, I so, just I just actually one more point. I just wrote an article about um, a woman who had a very premature baby, very, very premature. And um, she was, you know, was most of it was about the medical drama she went through. And Baruch Hashem, like, thank God the baby is doing great and is like a totally normal toddler at this point. But something she said to me was she did not want to hear like stories of like other preemies and what happened with them like even if they were good outcomes because it wasn't her story and so she said the best thing people did in terms of sending messages was just sending messages saying thinking of you that was enough thinking of you because then it wasn't solutionizing but it was also making her not feel alone which is exactly sort of what you're saying it's like just being right. there so even something right, so like just sending that message Right. I had a friend that was struggling with um, with cancer, the Mahala. And anytime I would be at a kever, like at a tomb praying, I would just send her a picture of the tomb and I would say, I'm praying for you here. Mm. I'm praying for you here. And wow. um, I don't know, I felt like that would give me a lot of strength. But um, can I say, everyone's very unique. Also, what works for one will not work for another. You know, some people actually like those stories. It gives them hope. So less is always more, you know, you just got to be careful. Just be careful. You're basically, you're around someone who's a walking open wound. Yeah. And um, uh, you, you, less is more. It's better to, it's better to say less and hurt less. Maybe also just to be metacognitive about it and saying like, you know, would this be something that would help you? Like, do you want to hear a story, um, you know, you know, a similar story where it turned out well or not. Like as you said, sometimes maybe just asking someone like what what would help you, you know? Right, exactly. So I that yeah, that that helped me a lot when people would say, like, what's the best thing that I can do for you? The most unhelpful thing and very damaging thing was um unsolicited advice about different things I should or should not be doing. Mm. Um family. That was that was actually the hardest part of being a widow was having people come in, even friends saying, you know, I really think you should be doing this or that with your children. Wow. Um, friends were immediately cut off. <laughs> I didn't have any energy to have anyone in my life that wasn't giving me energy that was taking away because you just, you can't possibly understand the person is so broken 
They just need you to build them up. Meaning I really wanted to have the strength to tell them and say, if you see something that you think I should be doing with my kids and I'm not capable of doing, please come in and do that for them. Yeah. If you see that they're not getting food that you think I should be cooking for them, can you please come over and bring that food and don't tell me to cook it? Yeah. <laughs> because it's really, it's, it's, it's an amazing thing. Look, people want to help and they just don't realize what's helpful and what's damaging. Um, what a person in this situation needs more than anything is strength. And the only way to get strength is for another person to just give support with emotional, physical, financial, whatever it is until they're able to have the strength that they need. And so when you ask me the question of how does a person get there, I can tell you from my experience, very, very, very slowly, one tiny bit at a time. Um, there's definitely a huge disparity between the body and the soul always, but especially during something like this, because you want to give a lot more voice to your soul that knows, hold on a second, remember, regroup, I'm here. This is just a test. This is just your soul evolving and having to go through different things along the journey in order to learn things. But your body is so, it, your body's screaming from trauma, from pain, from whatever it is. And the key is sort of to be that puppet master between those two different forces inside of you. And the way to do that is to just know that you're not one or the other. Your, your body and your, your emotions might be screaming, but it doesn't mean that it's you. It means it's okay. It's that baby inside of you that needs to scream and holler and fight and whatever and give her a place, you know? But then there's this also this adult inside of you that says, okay, like it's okay to scream. It's okay to tantrum, but you still have to go to your room and you still have to go to bed and you still have to do all of these things. And so the way to strengthen the adult, at least for me, was a lot of prayer and a lot of things that I loved to do. Whatever gave me energy, I happened to go like going to the Dead Sea. So I would go to the Dead Sea and I would spend an entire day just sitting there and staring at the mountains and like concentrating on the mountains and thinking these mountains are going to help me have strength and going to the gym and reading a spiritual book and whatever it was, you know, and if it meant that I spent hours without my kids, then I spent hours without my kids. And that was really, really hard for some people to understand because um, unless you're in that situation, you just don't realize how much you need to build up as a human being again for later. Like there is a Rebetzin in Israel who she actually took on the job of helping all of the widows <laughs> in Israel. And what she did is she just started picking them up out of no, you know, however many kids they had. And she would take them to Switzerland for a week. And the communities would be like, what do you mean? Like they have no other parent. She's like, no, 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 no. They're not going to have a parent unless these women learn to love life again, unless mm -hmm. these women learn to smile again. And unless you're a professional, you really don't realize that a lot of a family situation where you lose one of the parents has to do with just helping the other parent be a happy individual again in order to be able to be there for other people. You can't mm -hmm. be there for other people if you're a happy person. So um, building up very little by very little by very little and being around people who really understood and wanted to see me being better and happy. And that's it. And just understanding how hard of a situation it is and wanting to do anything for me to just make me smile, whatever it was, stupid things, a luncheon, a shopping trip, 
but just really, really knowing it's and 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 giving me that energy to little by little by little as I had it, I could you know give out a little more. So I had I could give out until your your body gets what it needs. It's very hard for your soul to really shine. Yeah. That's so you have thing. to do that. Right. Okay. Beautiful. And in terms of your kids, what do you think was the most impactful um, pieces to them being able to deal with the suffering? Um, so I'm projecting because I, I never actually asked them, but I can tell you from what I saw that the number one thing is if I truly believe it's from God, they will truly believe it's from God. Mm. And if you truly believe it's from God, there's a certain peace that you're at. So you might have pain and grief and all of that stuff, but you don't have questions. You don't have existential questions. Mm. And those are the hardest. I mean, that's just that, that one throws you off completely. Um, going through pain and going through grief and those are, that's just something you have to do. You can't escape it. But when you know at the end of the day, there's a system, there's a purpose, there's a reason, you just have a certain peace of mind within all of the craziness. And so um, I remember sitting and, uh, and talking to my oldest and everyone was talking about why this and why that. He said, come on, Ima. I, my husband actually, um, he had been hit by something in, in the back of his head in a wave. And I remember, and it was, it wasn't even a year after, um, he, he drowned. And my son said, Oh, come on, mom, that rock was from Shemayim. Meaning wow. that rock was from, I really was clear. This was people say fate. This was exactly what was supposed to happen. It was part of the entire plan. It wasn't my plan. <laughs> it's not the plan I would have, you know, drawn. It's not the story I would have written um, before we got married. But I definitely know it's the story that God wrote. It's not some kind of fluke. It wouldn't have happened any differently if we had taken a different bus. It, 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 this was his time. It was either in the water or somewhere else. Although I, I really feel like it needed to be in the water. And so this is not, I, again, it, I can't fight God, you know, and we shouldn't fight God because I mean, you know, a, a being that creates the heavens, the stars, the earth, DNA, our eyes, I mean, knows a little bit more than us. So even though I can't get it, um, I know that, you know, an intelligence so great that put into place that particular plan must know what they're doing. And so, okay, I have to deal with the consequences. We all have to deal with the consequences. The more you can model what the truth is, the more the kids will just sort of through osmosis. Uh, can I tell you that each one of my kids got it 100%? No. Um, why? I'm not 100% sure because, um, but, but I could definitely tell you that almost every one of them was very, very clear. Like, okay, this is from God. This was the plan. It's really, really hard though. And so what, um, so what do you think is the difference between the success for a child who hears that message and set and, and is able to then, you know, continue with their religious life and, 
you know, can, you know, draw strength from it. And a child who hears that message and says, well, if this is from God, I want nothing to do with him. What is like the second piece there that keeps them? I understand. And God loves us. And, and at the end of the day, we have no idea exactly, you know, why, what, how, but this is, this is for the good. And I remember, I remember telling my kids, you know, you guys are, I told this one of them, you guys are the fruit of, uh, of your father's cheek. You know, when you say a blessing here, you know, he, he says to God, you know what? That, that's not just his blessing. That's my blessing. I put that mm. kid into the world. I diapered him. I fed him. He is bringing more spirituality into the world. It's not just his, it's also mine. And so when my kids do something great in this world, they're actually helping their father every single day to come closer to God. And at mm. the end of their life, when they go to the other side, they will actually be able to reap the benefits of everything they did and their father did and sing together in the same place. They're on the same team. And so if they could just focus and, and just, you know, imagine your father's on a, on a business trip for 120 years, but you have the same goals and he's going to, he's going to pray for you and you're going to pray for him and you're going to together be able to win this, you know, test of life, God. But it, the more that they experience love and kindness in this world, the more they'll feel, and especially from their parents, the more they'll feel that God is loving and kind and all of those things. And, and they'll be able to suspend, you know, disbelief. I think that really, you know, brings it full circle in that um, it's all about, it's all about seeing this world as <laughs> beyond the mask, <laughs> right? To the deeper core of, you know, who do we want to be? Not just what do we want to do? And um, is suffering or, or any kind of pain going to break us? Is it going to constrict us or is it going to expand us? and bring us to the next level and um, ultimately uh, serve as a tool instead of like a roadblock. Um, and I want to, um, I want to end with one last quote. I, I heard you say in a different speech, because I think it really brings all these ideas together. I heard you say that um, a friend once told you that um, I guess maybe it was a friend. It was a diamond dealer or, or knew about diamonds. She said that in terms of what makes a high quality diamond, um, it's all the cuts on the face of the diamond, right? All the cuts that are put into the diamond. And it's the same thing with a high quality soul, right? How many cuts, how many cuts does it have, right? Um, in order for it to, um, to shine to its greatest capacity. Um, and I would also love to ask you as a final thing, if you could share with us some information about the Chesed organization, um, that you started, um, with your husband um when he was alive and uh, about some of the work you do with that westernwallprayers.org and basically my husband had been dating 50 girls <laughs> over the course of five years and um the way that we date in the firm world in the orthodox world you know usually after like four or five dates you already know if it's the right one so uh, the fact that he was so picky <clears throat> made everyone sort of give up on him. So he heard that if you go to the Western Wall for 40 days, and if you pray for one thing every single day without fail, without missing a day, so it's a very, very powerful way to get your prayers answered. And um, sure enough, he did it. And a week after that, we met. And when he had started the 40 days, I actually wasn't even thinking of dating for another year. So he actually sped up things. Um, a lot. So when I met him and he told me about the 40 days, I was like, oh my gosh, it was you that like all of these things in my life happened in order for me to start dating. So we got <laughs> married and we said, we have to share this with the world. 
So I had a friend out in Toronto who wanted to come for the wedding and she was 28 at that point. And she wanted to get married for you have to come in for 40 days. She said, what do you mean? Who in the world is going to give me time off for 40 days? I said, ask your employer. So she walked into her employer. She said, can I go to Israel for 40 days? I said, okay. So she said, okay, wonderful. So I met her at the airport. I drove her straight to the Western Wall. It was right before the end of the day. You actually have to go every single day before Shkia, which is sunset. And um, she started her 40 days and she sat for 40 straight days and she prayed all the way through my wedding. And uh, by the 40th day, a guy she used to date actually decided to fly in for her to visit her. And he he proposed at the end of the week. He had no plans to, but it just happened and they got married. Um, so he actually is a business guy and he had all these different websites and he offered me, he said, here, take a website and offer this to the world. And I said, I have to, but who in the world has 40 days that they can take off work like my friend? So what we did was we realized um, there are incredibly pious people in the old city who literally just live to learn and do good. You know, here, these people with incredible spirituality and very little money can help those around the world with a lot of money and very little spirituality. So um, it's 20 years into it now. Thank God we have wow. of stories, um, people from all around the world, people who had babies for their first time at, after the age of 40, people who got married on the 40th day or got engaged on the 40th day. My friend just sold her house on the 40th day. Um, we have people who passed exams that they never thought they were. Anything that a person wants, it's an incredible, incredible way to, um, to have a local call and to also help a very, very good cause. Thank you so much. That's wonderful. Um, I, I'm going to drop a link um, to this in the um, description of the episode. So anyone who wants to go back and click. Um, Batya, thank you so much for joining us. And more broadly, thank you so much um, for being willing to be vulnerable and share your experience and and be someone who, instead of constricting from the pain, expanded from the pain and is really um, just a, a resource for so many people and giving out strength and um, insight um, from taking a very difficult situation and, um, and elevating it. So uh, we wish you so much success with all of the wonderful work you're doing. And thank you again for being part of Ideas That Change Lives. Thank you so much.